next on World Radio Gardening, plants, soil and gardens from around the globe with Ken Crowther. Hi, I'm Ken Crowther and I've been gardening for nearly, well, in fact, just over 60 years. I've seen so many gardens in my time across different parts of the world, as well as in the UK. Garden festivals were a thing some years ago. I think it was Mr. Hesseltine who actually got those going. They were very good for the industry and they gave different countries the chance of showing off their styles of gardening. I've been to several countries around the world and also had the opportunity of interviewing several people from across different parts of Europe and as far away as Australia and even seen gardens in Japan. So my knowledge and information that I store in my head about those gardens when people ask for them is actually quite quite a lot and I can actually churn a bit out occasionally and give people ideas on little features that they perhaps can put in their own garden. It's a conglomeration of lots of information put together and we'll be traveling across the world and around the globe here on World Radio Gardening. episode we look at Japanese style of gardens. Now the thing about Japanese gardens is I've built a couple in my time. One quite prestigious one which you'll hear about a bit later on but another one in a garden in Chigwell where the man had a lovely koi pond, a really spectacular koi pond and we built a deck out over this koi pond. He had a small red curving bridge built and we installed that for him and then we had outcrops of rock which we installed moss around but anyway moving on from that it's good to include water either a waterfall or some sort of feature of water it uses a lot of natural stone and a variety of bridges i've just mentioned a red one but a variety of bridges are really important in the Japanese garden. Flowers are rarely used, and evergreen shrubs are used, bushes and trees are preferred, a lot of uh, conifers as well. Pagodas, summer houses, tea houses, and possibly an arbor are normally part of that garden. Cherry trees for their beautiful blossoms. And in fact, they're said to date back to the 8th century in Japan and has become associated with Japan's gardens today. People flock to Japan to see the cherry blossoms in the gardens. 
was in my garden borders packed up shop for the year in a dying down. It's so uplifting to see others ending the year with all guns blazing and none more so than Japanese anemones. I've always had a soft spot for them. Our family home down in Surrey had a massive spreading clump of them outside the front door where they flare their socks off through late summer into autumn. They flourished despite the challenges of the site, which was on a quite a heavy clay soil and almost north facing, so not a massive amount of direct sunlight either, but they flourished there. I call these plants the survivors. They're really valuable garden plants and grow well in these challenging situations. So when I come across them, I'll often recommend Anemone japonica, or sometimes you should be calling this Anemone cross hybrida. I'm always keeping these ones in mind. There's several other related varieties and species as well. Sometimes you'll find them called Anemone hupihensis. And all of these originate from the Far East, from Japan to China. Now these anemones love shade. Dappled shade gives them good strong sunshine, they'll do well too. But they'll cope with a dry site and they don't mind a heavy clay soil either. But best of all, these anemones spread. So once you plant them, they'll grow out into even bigger, bolder clumps. Now, if you can beg a chunk off a friend with a large clump and you can dig a bit off the side of it, then autumn's a great time to transplant a bit with lots of soil attached. They won't miss a bit from the back of a clump if they've got a you know, big group of anemones there anyway. And within a few years, you'll have an equally impressive display. Autumn can be a really good time for planting hardy perennials like this because the soil is still warm. Quite often you've got a little bit more rainfall coming along as well to get these plants established. So if you've got any gaps, then anemones can be planted now to give you some late color. I think some of the varieties have a rather wishy-washy flowers, like September Charm, which is a sort of pale pink. And I prefer some of the stronger varieties. There's a lovely pure white anemone called Honorine Jobert, or something with a very deep pink, rich color. Pamina is a wonderful variety, producing mainly double deep pink flowers. They add real impact to the autumn displays. And last year I planted Anemone hupahensis splendens with bold crown of golden anthers at the centre of each flower. It really did look gorgeous. And being a hardy perennial, it will be back year after year to enchant me, bringing colour and joy to those gloomy autumn days. So if you've got some gaps in the borders now that need to add a little bit more impact to take over from the summer perennials which have passed their best, then look out for anemones, available in garden centres now in full flower. Three simple things to consider about perhaps building a Japanese style garden in your own garden. You've definitely need a water feature and you need to combine that with fine gravels, coarse gravels and stone areas which are bordered by evergreen shrubs 
bushes and trees. They use set stepping stones and you can buy those, particularly paddle stones that are suitable for Japanese gardens. They're normally surrounded by gravel <clears throat> and these, these areas of stone and gravel can hide small pumps and pipe work for that water feature. So you have to incorporate those two things together to make it work. Plant Japanese cherry trees. Japanese love to celebrate the noble blossom of those trees and have traditionally planted them to symbolise the state of the renewal during spring. It's all about thinking nature. The tree does well in the UK as well. It's easy to brighten up a garden in March and April. And in fact, even if you haven't got a Japanese garden, you can brighten it up with spring bulbs as well. The trees are fairly fast growing. They're not long lived, maybe only 30 years, but within 10 years, they really look very established indeed. What else can I tell you about Japanese gardens? Cloud pruning is a very important part of a Japanese garden. Often conifers had been cloud pruned. But nowadays, if you go to a garden centre, you can see many plants that have been cloud pruned already for you to buy established. However, they cost money. And you can also, you could do it yourself. Some of the uh, Lanisras, the Privets, as I said, conifers are cloud pruned. You could buy one and then train it into three or four branches and then slowly cloud prune it. All it needs is regular cutting. If they're in containers, sometimes they're in terracotta pots, you would need to take them out and root prune to keep them tight in. And a lot of, uh, a lot of people would have perhaps bonsais in the same garden. I know this man in Chigmore did. He had a lovely bonsai collection and we placed those around uh, the bridge and into a cold greenhouse to look after them in the winter. And remember, there's a real significance about raking the gravel. Check it out. If you use bamboo fencing, again, it's important to use a tarred string. And again, check out in a Japanese garden book at how you should do the knots. You can't just do a reef knot. It's got to be a pucker Japanese knot. World Radio Gardening has come out today to Capel Manor. Capel Manor is in Enfield uh, in Middlesex. And with me, I have Julie Phipps, who is one of the senior gardeners here. And we're standing in the Japanese garden, aren't we, Julie? We are, Ken, we are. Now, what is fascinating about this is that actually I was involved with the original garden and built it about 20 years ago. That's right. Um, so what's happening now? We're now having it sort of completely re refurbished. We've had the um, tea garden area has all been replanted and we're now um, concentrating on the pond. We're having new a new waterfall, so we're having a slightly so have a slightly more dramatic effect with the water flowing down between the rocks into the new pool at the bottom, and then we will readjust the planting around the um, waterfall as well. Because you have to do cloud pruning, and all the pruning has to be correct, doesn't it, to make a Japanese garden look right? Yes, even though we're not actually in Japan, we are trying to use um, sort of ethics from some of the Japanese gardens so we do have a Japanese 
um, instructor comes in and is teaching the guys how to prune the shrubs correctly to give this cloud pruning effect. In fact, it's interesting that, you know, it's something that's come from Japan, but it's actually quite trendy as well now to have those in your garden, isn't it? A cloud pruned conifer. It is. You get quite a few, quite a few shapes um, can be produced by cloud pruning and on a variegated sort of um, variation of um, trees and shrubs. So when's the completion date for the refurbishment on, the, on this Japanese garden here? Probably the last phase is next year. This, um, this is like the third phase at the moment with the pond. This should all be up and running by April, um, spring this year, ready for our spring show. And then the next phase is we're slightly um, altering the entrance to the garden. It's having a new gate. So you won't see all the garden straight away like you do at the moment. Oh, this makes it more interesting. Now, just standing here, we can see another couple of gardens, can't we, Julie? So tell us about some of the others that are adjacent. We've got the Jungle Gym Garden, which was designed by Kim Wilde back in um, early 2005. Um, very sort of imaginative use of exhaust pipes as the boundary rather than a normal, normal fence. a bit fence. unusual, isn't it? A little bit unusual. Um, lots of sort of different structural sort of shrubs and trees. And we've also, at the back of that garden now, sort of created like a little play area for our younger visitors. Um, and we've planted it full of um, tulips and other spring bulbs to give it lots so of colour. colour again in spring. So yes. spring it really all takes off. It does. And then looking across there, what, what other garden have we got there? Um, another garden, what we've done this year, we've, I've created a tulip garden for the spring. We've planted about 3,000 tulips in there, ranging from your dwarf varieties to lily, um, your double petaled ones. So it, I think it will look a bit like a smarty garden, a riot of colour. That's nothing wrong with a riot of <laughs> colour, is it? What garden is that actually, that one there? Um, that's uh, the old Sutton's garden. The old Sutton's garden. So that's, yeah. Because that's the thing about here, you try and get sponsorship for all the gardens uh, to help run, we, run the gardens. We really, do, we do. We need sort of, we're very lucky we get. Um, lots of help from the sort of HGA and other companies in the horticultural trade because we need to be able to not only offer the variety to our horticultural students but also to our many visitors that we have as well. Because it is much of a visitor attraction as, as a college, isn't it? It is. We might be um, North London's only land-based um, college but we are also a visitor attraction with 30, over 30 acres of beautiful gardens. So if we want to look you up on the website, how do we find you, Julie? You can look on www.capelmanorgardens.co.uk. I'm with Alan Joyce and he's from Tranquil Waters. Alan, we are here in the countryside, blue sky, 
sky's blue, High Onger in Essex, in East Anglia in England, and I'm looking out, Alan, mm -hmm. at what looks like netted ponds. Am I right? <laughs> Almost. They're actual uh, natural clay mud ponds. What we've got here, we're in the middle of, is a 15-acre koi farm. We believe it's one of the Essex finest ones. We're actually registered by the Agriculture, Fisheries and Food and CFAS. We're a biosecure site, so in the event of, shall we say, a import coming in, we could actually... Uh, quarantine and hold the fish here on site without the chain of, uh, shall we say, um, a biosecure uh, quarantine state being broken. So it wouldn't have to go through another state of quarantine before it could leave. It could literally stay here. Stay here and then move on. And then move on without that chain being broken. Because a lot of the koi that are just imported, they're imported and then sold, aren't they? Pretty much are, yeah. A lot of them are imported. They may be in the aquarium shop, maybe for no more than a day or two before they're put up for sale. But here we actually quarantine the fish before they actually go on to elsewhere. In this case, where we've got, as I said, 15 acres of koi farm, we import the fish. They're in the quarantine tanks. For How big month. are they when they come in? They come into us here roughly about four to six inches. Yeah. And then we'll quarantine them. They'll go out to our natural clay ponds where they get fed high protein foods, they'll stay on site then for maybe two or three years before they triple or even quadruple in size. So they get big? Oh yeah. The, how long the, are they, I mean looking across there at some in the pond, how big are they, I mean I'm just guessing how big they are, they're, they're big aren't they? They're, they're big, they, they, they start from, well if an angler wants to know, they're, they're ranging anywhere from up to about 20 pounds in weight. That's, that's heavy. Um, but otherwise in normal terms, yeah, they, they reach up to maybe three foot in size, some of them. They're massive, aren't they? They, they can be quite a big beast. Worth a lot of money, though, aren't they? They are. Being Japanese koi, they're not Israeli. They're less furious fish. These are high quality Good Japanese patterns. koi. Yep. So, again, they stay on site, and then we can nurture them, feed them up, and then we can actually catch them. We quarantine them again before we actually put them into the store to resale. Now... Do you actually breed any yourself? You know, I mean, no, it, it's not. I suppose it's not worth it because they're too good at it, aren't they? Well, no, it's not the case of that. They lose their money. If really? you bring a Japanese koi in, and then it's sold, then it still demands a high price. If you bring it in and breed from it, it's then English. It's not Japanese because it's bred in England. It's grown in England, so really, it is an English koi. So it still comes from Japanese stock, but it's not Japanese. So therefore, all we do is we just literally grow them on so they don't lose that status. Alan, we were talking about the koi, but do you have any other cold water fish here at all? Um, apart from the odd goldfish or two, no. We have <laughs> two. We There's have, nothing wrong with goldfish though, is it? They're a bit plain, but yes, it's the livestock and the hardiness of them that uh, people were drawn to them. But here at the farm, we've got a rare sort of breed, which is the bronze goldfish. Um, we've got two lakes of those growing. And they're the only ones that we're allowed to have on site with the actual Japanese koi. Any reason for that? Again, it's just to keep the biosecurity. I cannot have any uh, American, Singapore, Israeli, any type of other fish, like the orf, the rudd, the tench, anything like that, 
mustn't come onto this. So it's really, you're worried about cross-contamination, really, yeah. isn't it? That's how I would think about exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. So that way it just keeps everything nice and tight. So again, with the goldfish, do you breed those, or do, again, do you buy them in small and grow them on? Again, they're, they're pretty much grown from uh, original stocks. I mean, they're reaching the size now of up to like 12, 15 inches in size, some of them. Good size, yeah. So they are decent good size and strong English grown stuff. And it's what, actually, if you want a no problem cold water pond in your garden, is that what you go for in all yeah, honesty? Yeah, they, they need less maintenance, less care and attention than the actual koi do. They like plenty of oxygen, clean filtered, biological safe water. Unlike your natural static pond, you can have half a dozen goldfish in there, nice reeds, lilies, plants, that sort of thing. Which you do on. as well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, we do a full range of those here at the store. But again, that what that's what you'd call a natural static pond, a nice gentle Sunday afternoon sort of. Sunday afternoon, sitting in the sun and watching the goldfish. That's it. Very now, nice. Is there? A, do you feel there's an increase in interest in ponds, or is it sort of levelled out? How do you feel it is? Because if you've been you've been in business a long time now, you must yeah, have seen the ups and the downs. Quite right. So, I mean, I've been in the aquatic trade now for over 30 years, and we've seen a trend mostly around about the 80s or 90s where it really peaked, and now it's starting to level off. Um, but moving here, we've been here on site say, for the last 10 years, doing retail only from last year onwards. But again, the, the sort of customer clientele from our older store is totally different up here. So I guess it, it's pretty much aerial where you go to how and what they like to stock. So you're in a more rural area, is it bigger ponds? Bigger here? ponds here, bigger interest in the outside gardening um, compared to an in-store in sort of thing at... Um, you were in London area, weren't we you? We was, yeah, it was down at Walthamstow, so sort of a built-up area then it is more aquatic side of tropical fish, marine fish, that sort of thing. We've still done fair a lot of pond stuff, but nowhere on the scale of what we're now doing here at the new store. Is there a way of keeping out, you know, I mean, one of, one of my favourites, of course, always get asked questions about, of course, is blanket weed. I mean, is there really a way of getting rid of blanket weed, do you think? Blanket I weed I thought I'd is, just hit you with that one. Oh, you know. well, you've, you've got the right one there. Blanket weed can be and is quite nerving to most pond or aquatic koi keepers it can be the death of most things they clog up filters it clogs up pumps but thankfully there's a new product i say new it's been on the market now for over what five or six years now which is the cloverleaf blanket answer that really is the be all and end all for blanket weed it's it's a turning point it's where you can finally say no more blanket weed is it natural or is it actually a chemical base no it's no chemicals in it at all it's a natural bioenzyme it gets to work and actually attacks the blanket weed as it grows. Fantastic, isn't it? It's, it's blinding stuff. You normally hit the pond once with that, it turns a milky white colour, it's a side effect, but naturally within three or four days it's clear and the blanket weed is just falling apart and disintegrating. It's brilliant stuff. Well, I'm glad I came to talk to you, Alan, because now I can recommend people on World Radio Gardening, you see, to get rid of blanket weed. So what's the product again? Once again, it's the Cloverleaf Blanket Answer. It's the UK's number one. Now, you're building a website, I believe, is that right? It is indeed, yep. Um, That's under construction at the moment, so unfortunately there's nothing actually to be viewed on it, but you'll be able to find anything like that on tranquilwater.co.uk. Thanks very much, Alan. Thank you very much. I hope that's brought a little of this Wonder Garden style to life here on World Radio Gardening. I'll be back with more on the plants, soils and gardens from around the globe in the near future, only on World Radio Gardening. And remember, if you would like to tell us about your garden, 
then please head to worldradiogardening.com and use the comments forms to post on our news story features.